Well, when we find Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a temptation, temptation that I have had sometimes reading this particular passage, to be a little confused by his attitude. Because we're coming to Elijah right after chapter 18 of 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see one of the most famous victories in the Old Testament. We see one of the most powerful displays of God's power. And frankly, we see a prophet who is so consumed by the Spirit, who is so in sync with God, who is so just incredibly powerful, that to read that and then to read chapter 19, it seems kind of strange. How are these the same person? We see in 1 Kings chapter 18 a prophet who is so fearless, who is so absolutely confident in God, we see him trash-talking, trash-talking these prophets of Baal, putting himself in a position where without question, if God doesn't come through for Elijah, he will be killed and probably in extremely bad circumstances. He's there alone, facing down hundreds of prophets of Baal, facing down the entire political establishment of his country, and we see him absolutely on fire. And so we see that, and not only do we see this, this person just really, really standing up for God, we see this person standing up for God and seeing a mighty victory as a result. Absolute, 100% crystal clear blessing from God. God saying, Elijah, here is your faith, and here it is absolutely repaid. I'm going to show my power in an extremely clear way. I'm going to give you victory over the prophets of Baal. I'm going to show you great, uh, a great outpouring and uh, of fervor for the Lord, people saying the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then I'm going to show you the rescuing of the nation with the ending of this drought. An ending of the drought that is so exciting that he runs before the chariot to the entrance of Jezreel. By the way, not only that, not only this sort of victory, but also some measure of restoration, or at least detente, between Elijah and Ahab. That we see Elijah speaking to Ahab, and Ahab uh, either too fearful or in one of his occasional uh, uh, lucid moments and understanding of the power of God not doing anything to him. We see this in chapter 18, and then in chapter 19, we see the other pole of uh, Elijah's personality. We see a disconsolate Elijah. And when I was younger, it was a little bit difficult to understand this. How could this be? How could the Elijah in chapter 18 
have lost his faith so quickly? How could he be this dejected? But in recent years, and certainly in studying for this sermon, I realized something, I think, which is that it is actually, when you think about Elijah's position, very understandable from a human point of view. This outlook. Very, uh, certainly, a natural form of discouragement. And this discouragement is not treated with that same judgment that perhaps a reader, a young uh, James reading this passage would bring to it. This same judgment is not, uh, uh, is not uh, evidenced by God's reaction. We see the tenderness of God. We see the gentleness of God in dealing with Elijah. But I think it is useful for us in reviewing this passage and really examining the topic tonight of discouragement to think about this because every one of us is at one point or the other going to be in one of these two situations, either of being discouraged or of being in a situation in which we need to comfort or encourage somebody who is in that situation. And so I think it is useful for us to examine the sources of Elijah's discouragement and then how he was encouraged by God so that we can apply them in our own walks and when we are encouraging others. But before we get into this, let's begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you that you are a God of all comfort. Lord, I thank you that you remember our frame, that you know that we are dust. Lord, I thank you for uh, the blessing of your encouragement, the blessing of your steadfastness. And Lord, I thank you for the blessing that it is to know with 100% certainty that we can know with the certainty of faith that your plans and your strength is above anything that we can understand or even imagine. And Lord, that we can rest on you and that we can be comforted, that your way will go forward, and that we can be encouraged that you uh, are in control, and that your purposes will not be foiled. I thank you for all these things. In your name, amen. Let's start by examining Elijah's discouragement. Again, this is something that was a little bit difficult for me to understand, until you start to examine and think about the position that Elijah was in. Again, if you just think about this just story A, story B, it seems, it seems very difficult to understand. You might even blame Elijah for it. God has just shown his great power and now you're discouraged? You're discouraged just because Jezebel says she's going to kill you? Well, when we see Elijah... Uh, under this juniper tree, we're seeing Elijah discouraged for a multitude of different reasons, I believe. Certainly, one of the important reasons is that Jezebel wants to kill him. And listen, if Ahab wanted to kill him, maybe that's fine. Ahab wasn't such a terrifying foe. He was kind of a weakling. If Jezebel wanted to kill you, there was a good chance she, she, she was going to put plans into practice. Jezebel and Naboth found out uh, that lesson. 
uh, Jezebel was nothing to, nothing to mess around with. And so we see Elijah under the juniper tree, and think about his situation. He's had this great victory, certainly. But what has come of it? He's under a tree alone. He is in the wilderness. Think about, perhaps, the hopes that he may have cherished for this great day of choosing. Listen, once God shows his power, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen certainly is that the people are going to see, and they're going to turn, and then the worship of God is going to be restored in Israel. The prophets of Baal are going to be destroyed, and all of a sudden there will be a new revival of following of God. And then after this, he's sitting under a juniper tree, and he's alone. Ahab and Jezebel have not repented. They want to kill him for fighting against Baal. And as he sits there alone, hungry, tired, he's looking around and thinking, was this what this was for? I had this great day, this incredible emotional high in which I put it all on the line and God answered greatly. And the outcome is, she's still chasing me to put an end to my life. There's no crowds following me out into the wilderness. There's no revolution, no revolt. No, uh, no uh, casting off of these shackles of Baal. And I'm not a spring chicken. We don't know how old exactly Elijah was, but we know this is very near the end of his ministry. And he's looking back over an entire ministry and saying, it ends up with me alone? Where's the baton going to be passed to? Think about it. That would be very discouraging. You've spent your entire life spreading this gospel, this, this, good, this good news of the possibility of repentance. You've spent the entire time warning of the dangers of wickedness. And even when it is proved to the people time after time again, there seems to be no measurable change. And in fact, things seem to be just getting worse. No wonder Elijah was discouraged. No wonder he was discouraged. Because again, it's important to remember this as well, this was during a time in which the worship of God and the well-being of his people, Israel, were extremely tied together. It wasn't that there were churches in many different nations. It was the people of God, of Israel, and of course at this time Judah, following the Lord, worshiping at Jerusalem. And Elijah knew that if this continued, it would be destruction for his people that he loved and that he had been uh, 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 preaching to and prophesying to. And further... Of course, it would be natural to assume. And if all the other prophets who had Jezebel had killed 
and I'm the one left, if I'm put to death, will the worship of God simply die out? He was discouraged. The people that could potentially have encouraged the people back onto a right track, the king who was uh, uh, meant to lead his people, who had so much influence over the people, was, in fact, by any measure, terrible. And furthermore, we know this because we're reading, we read at the end of the passage, this was a time in which Israel was beset by enemies. Even Judah and Israel were fighting amongst each other. And Judah and Israel on their own were not fit to stand up, even combined were not fit to stand up to many of their enemies. We read about Hazael, the, uh, uh, the Syrian king. Uh, and by the way, I think it's uh, from a historical sense, it's important to realize that was Syrian as in Damascus. It was not Assyrian. Uh, that was, but guess what? Those Assyrians who were the most fearsome civilization of the time, they were prowling around the Babylonians, there are still the Philistines. There was a whole host of physical enemies, and Elijah's going, if these people don't listen to me, and they seem to have no desire to do so, and then I go, there'll be nothing to prevent the destruction of this nation. So this is perhaps a natural uh, 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 position to be in. We see Elijah discouraged in his body, in his soul, and in his spirit. He's physically at the end of his rope. He is emotionally uh, uh, broken down. He is emotionally distraught. And spiritually, he doesn't see a future. We see all of these things, and again, it is easy to judge. But when we see God's reaction... I think that this is very instructive. He's under the, the tree, and he wants even to die. I think it's important to, to, to note this language. He is saying, it's over. It is enough. That's, he's literally saying, it's over. God, we've lost. And furthermore, by the way, notice this discouragement is not simply in the others, it's in himself. He said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Elijah, to some extent, is taking this on himself. I did everything I possibly could, and it didn't make it a difference. I'm here alone in the wilderness. There's been no great change. It is enough. Let me die. And he lays and he sleeps under the juniper tree, and an angel touched him. What's the first thing that we see? Well, one of the aspects of Elijah's discouragement was his loneliness. I think that that is a, a, a correct read of this passage. He is alone. Discouragement often manifests itself in a withdrawal from other people. The first thing that the angel does is touches him. There's a benefit in human touch. There's a benefit 
and, and again, somewhat ironic for me to be saying it, but there is a benefit in human touch. And there is an encouraging effect of human touch. Perhaps each one of you have experienced at various times when you are discouraged that just a simple touch of a hand or a hug can be a great encouragement. He was in a time of loneliness and the angel physically touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake, bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. I think there's something that's useful to see about this meal as well. This was not manna. This was an actual physical meal that was being physically cooked. This was physically being uh, accomplished personally for Elijah. And Elijah eats and drinks and lays down again. Now what does this tell us, by the way? This tells us that Elijah was very exhausted. An angel comes and touches you, makes you food and water, and you don't decide to have a little conversation with the angel. He was so exhausted, it appears to me, that he woke up, groggily ate, drank, and then immediately passed out again and slept even more. And then he came a second time, the angel of the Lord, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Uh, uh, some people, when it says the angel of the Lord uh, in the Old Testament, believe that this is evidence of an uh, appearance of Jesus Christ. I don't know, but certainly this is a messenger from God. And this is a messenger from God showing very specifically God's tender care for his servant. He touches him. He provides for his needs. By the way, I think it's important sometimes not to over-spiritualize everything. Sometimes we may be discouraged because we haven't eaten in a while. We like to think that you know, everything is, is a little bit uh, bigger than that. Sometimes, listen, we've been given fallen bodies. We've been given bodies that get tired. Jesus Christ's body got tired. We've been given bodies that get hungry. We've been given bodies that get thirsty. We've given, uh, been given bodies that uh, have weaknesses. And sometimes that can have an impact on our discouragement. Sometimes if we're discouraged, we need to eat some food. Sometimes we need to take a nap. Sometimes we need to drink some water. And God obviously knew that Elijah... This was part of his issue. His body was, uh, was, in fact, a factor in his discouragement. So the first thing God does is address that issue. We're going to make sure that that is dealt with. He provides rest to him, provides food and water, provides touch. Based on that, he is given strength, enough strength that he can go 40 days and 40 nights into a cave, and he lodges there. And the word of the Lord comes to him and asks what he's doing there, and we see another uh, 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 part of encouragement. Another part of encouragement is simply discussion, is simply talking about it. Sometimes this is difficult for people who are discouraged, but it is important. It is important to uh, talk to them. And God does not come with an accusatory tone. 
but simply a questioning tone. Why are you here, Elijah? And Elijah pours out his heart. He says, I've been jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel, forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. I don't see any indication that this is not accurate. It is true. He is discouraged, not simply because he is hungry and he is tired. He is discouraged because it appears the work that he has wholly given himself to in the course of his life was of no value and no worth. He's saying, I have been earnestly desiring uh, uh, your best, Lord. I have been jealous for you. And the children of Israel are ignoring it. They've forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars. The prophets are slain. What's he saying there? He's saying there's no one else to spread your word, God, besides me. Your covenants are forsaken, and the altars, even if they wanted to do it, the altars have been torn down. They've destroyed your religion. Not simply the, the, the belief system, but they've destroyed all of the physical evidence of the worship of the Lord God. And I'm the last one left, and they're coming after me. And what does God say? He says, go and stand up. I'm going to show you something. So he goes, goes up. By the way, he, he goes up and uh, uh, he says, listen, here comes the wind. So the wind comes. This is a strong wind. We experienced some strong wind in the last week. This is a much stronger wind. It rends the mountains. It breaks in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Then came an earthquake. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. Think about the wonders that Elijah is seeing here. I've never been in an earthquake. I think it would uh, leave me shaken, if you'll pardon the pun. I, it would be crazy to see. Seeing fire come down from heaven? Crazy. A huge wind that's throwing parts of the mountain off? All three of those in succession? I would be ready to hear. And you know what? I'd be li really listening for the voice of the Lord inside of each of those things. Because the fact is, if I was really down, I'd be looking for the power of God to manifest itself in some of these great, flashy happenings. Okay, God, you're speaking to me through the whirlwind. You're going to speak to me through the earthquake that shows you're going to shake the kingdom. Through the fire, you're going to burn up my, my enemies. But God's, God's word was not in any of these. And then after the fire, a still, small voice. Again, God showing his power, but God's communication coming in a still, small voice. Elijah hears it. He wraps his face in his mantle. It demonstrates that Elijah knows he's about to encounter God and he knows the dangers of trying to see God face to face. He goes into the entering of the cave and again the question, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he says the same thing. Exactly the same thing. I've been jealous, but they've destroyed everything. I'm the only one left. They're coming to kill me. And he, God says, I'm going to give you a mission. First, you're going to Damascus and you're going to announce 
uh, anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. Then you're going to anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. Then you're going to anoint Elisha to be prophet after you. All right. Here comes the encouragement. God, how are you going to turn things around? Well, here's, how, here's what uh, is going to be the outcome of this. Hosea is going to kill a whole lot of people. Well, he's the king of Syria, and they're traditionally not our friends. That doesn't sound good. It sounds like he's going to be killing a lot of us. And then, anyone that escapes from Hazael, Jehu's going to slay, and then Elisha's going to slay quite a few more. He didn't mention that many of them would be through bears. Uh, Elijah would just have to learn that later for himself. There's going to be a lot of killing. And that's the end of what's going to happen, but... But, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. And that's the end of the encouragement. A still small voice giving Elijah a task, telling him that what will come out of that, without perhaps tying up how exactly that's going to uh, uh, be a benefit for the uh, concerns that Elijah had, but then a reminder that I have, well, not a reminder, Elijah may not have been aware of this, but I have 7,000 people uh, who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Well, what do we see here in God's comfort of Elijah? Well, first of all, we see the comfort of his body, and we've covered that. He touched him. He fed him. He allowed him to rest. These are important things. Important things for when we are discouraged. Important things for when we are trying to encourage others. Next, he spoke to him. And he spoke to him in a way that demonstrated something very important. He demonstrated, frankly, the form that his power was going to take. You know, Elijah was hoping for a victory of God, I think, that looked a little bit more like a fire, a little bit more like an earthquake, or a little bit more like a mighty wind. Sometimes we have that desire as well, and there's nothing wrong with that desire. And what God was telling him by speaking to Elijah was, your ministry is going to be a still, small voice. Your ministry is going to be a voice. You know what? The man coming after you Elisha, he's going to have a double portion of, of the Spirit. And his mission and ministry is going to be a voice as well. Elijah had such a zeal for his people that, of course, he could be excused for, for greatly desiring his words and his ministry to have a massive shakeup of Israel that broke down the... the worship of Baal that destroyed, that at this great time of choosing led to the overthrow of Ahab and Jezebel and the complete reinstallation of the worship of God. And that was not what occurred. And he was discouraged. And God was reminding him, I'm still here and my purposes will go forward in the way that I choose even if it is through a still, small voice. 
he encouraged him about the means. But he also encouraged him about the future. Now that encouragement took the, took the, uh, took the form of, first of all, a task. I've given you a task. To anoint three people. Now anointing was a very serious, very uh, holy thing. And that's why it's so strange that the first person that he anointed was Hosea. Now, Hosea wasn't an Assyrian, as I said. The Assyrians were terrifying. But Hosea was terrifying enough. In fact, from what I understand, the Syrians conquered Gath. They, they, uh, they had uh, conquest over a large portion of the Philistines. They even were managed to... Uh, Hosea managed to beat back some attacks of the Assyrians, but he also made massive, massive incursions into both Israel and Judah and beat the kings of Israel and Judah in great wars. And he's getting anointed by the prophet of God? Well, this seems strange. We don't see any indication that Hosea was doing this for any sort of godly motive. And then Jehu, Jehu is anointed. So Hazael, representing the external forces, was going to conquer Israel as anointed by Elijah. And then Jehu, all right, now this is more encouraging, right? You're giving me the mission to anoint Jehu. And Jehu certainly did some very encouraging things. He killed a whole lot of Baal worshipers and a whole lot of priests of Baal. Jehu did some encouraging things, but what do we see about him? He really didn't care that much about following God. He still followed after the sins of Jeroboam, and he certainly didn't devote himself to following after God. All right, well, that's not extremely encouraging. But the last one was the source, perhaps, of the greatest encouragement, that Elisha would be a prophet in Elijah's stead, that prophecy would go forward, that the word of God would continue to go forth, and that the people would continue to hear it. And indeed, Elisha did so, that Elisha was given this great mission, and that Elijah, when handing it off, was handing it off to someone who would continue it. And yet for all this, we don't see any indication of encouragement from God saying, oh yeah, all the covenants being forsaken, the altars being thrown down, and the prophets being slain, that's all done. Guess what? The nation of Israel is going to be just fine. They're going to be great. They're going to just really turn it around. We don't see that encouragement. And in fact, we don't see that encouragement because it would not have been true. The nation of Israel was, in fact, in deep trouble. His discouragement uh, related to it was, uh, was accurate. He knew the outcome of what uh, would happen to Israel if they continued down this road. But what was God's promise? My work will continue to go forth. I have 7,000 who have not bent the knee. I have Elisha will continue to spread my word. My purposes are not being flustered. 
My, uh, uh, my uh, work that I have done through you is not in vain. And what, of course, is the ultimate symbol of this? Elijah, I'm sure, was hoping for some great full nation revival, a replacement of the corrupt king and queen, a destruction of the idolatry. But what was the final encouragement that God gave him? What was the reward for his labor? It was the fiery chariot. It was the specific uh, blessing of God's mark of approval on his life. And we see that Elijah was not very far off from that. And when Elijah goes back to heaven, or goes to heaven, we see a, uh, his mantle into the hands of uh, uh, somebody else, but a nation of Israel that was, in many ways, not very changed for his, for his work. Well, what is the, uh, the lesson that we learn from this? Now, we learn a lesson about God. We learn a lesson about God's tender mercies and his care, a mer- mercy and care that we can always turn to. We are in a place of discouragement. What was Elijah's instinct? Elijah's instinct was to speak to the Lord, to hear his voice. And that is something that if we are in a place of discouragement, that we ought to seek out as well. Uh, And that is, I think, important. But it's also important as well to learn from this, to encourage others, the ways that God encourages Elijah. But I would like to focus uh, finally on the source of this discouragement and a hope that we can hold on to. You know, it's very easy for us where we are in our time, in our nation, in our city, to look at various things and be greatly discouraged. To be greatly discouraged because of things that we can see, to see uh, the effects that we had hoped for and the effects that we see of our work. I spoke about this on Saturday morning, but I I was thinking about this in connection with uh, Jesus healing somebody at the pool in Bethesda and saying, this guy, I heal him. Everything's better, and what does he do? He immediately goes to uh, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and as a result, they seek my life. What was the purpose of that? We don't see any great revival. We don't see any great, in fact, Jesus is avoiding the crowds. And all it does is make it so hot for him in Jerusalem that he doesn't even minister there for a while after that. What was the purpose of that? And Elijah, in his flesh, could be saying, what is the purpose of all this danger that I've placed myself in, all these things that I've deprived myself in, uh, taking every ounce of energy and sweat out of my body, this loneliness that I feel, and for what? Where's this great revival that was supposed to come from this? And God says, don't fret. My word will continue to go forward. And with this fiery chariot that's coming to give you, get you, I will be showing my approval for the work that you did. And we have a tendency sometimes to begin to 
uh, examine things in this earthly sense and to say, I poured myself into maybe a specific person, maybe a specific ministry. I have uh, done, uh, uh, taken my part in labor and look at the current state of this person, of this city, of this church, of this nation. Was this what it was all for? And you know what? God encourages us as well. The reward that, listen, and we seek and we pray for and we earnestly desire fruit. This is not at all to say anything related to that. But one thing that we can be confident in is that if we follow what God has set before us, and in his power and in his might, speak the words that he gives us to speak and take the actions that he gives us to take, that he will be pleased with us. And we can be confident that God's work will go forward after we are gone. Again, put yourself in Elijah's shoes. And think about the time in which some great happening has happened, some great work, some great uh, uh, time of uh, hard labor has gone forward, and it doesn't seem like there's much effect. That's the devil's desire, is for us to be discouraged in those times. And what that discouragement is, as God was gently reminding Elijah, is a lack of trust. It's a lack of proper trust. Elijah could, uh, could trust, and in fact, we see that trust fulfilled, that God was in control. God was not in danger of his uh, word being snuffed out. Elijah got a little self-important here. Once I'm gone, there's nothing left. I'm the only I'm the only person keeping the word of God on earth alive. And God said, no, no, no. There's thousands. I've been working through you, absolutely. There's somebody coming after you who's going to have a double measure. There's 7,000 other people. I'm grateful. I, 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 I'm glad that you've been following my word, and I'm going to show that at the end of your time on earth. But you don't need to worry about that. And it's the same God in our time. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret. What we need to do is follow the task that God gives us. Frankly, I think one of the most encouraging things about this passage, one of the best parts of this encouragement, was the task that was given to Elijah. There's part of Elijah that is clearly thinking that he had reached the end. I've done everything and it's for nothing. And God says, you haven't done everything. I still have more stuff for you to do. I have more tasks for you to do. And frankly, because you're discouraged, even though you are not owed it, I'm going to give you an explanation of what's going to happen as a result of these things. I am going to tell you the outcome of these things. It may not be an outcome that sounds very good, but it's an outcome that's in my will. It's an outcome that is going to work together for my purposes. And I, you are still useful because you are still here. And that is what we are given to do. We are given to, uh, to do the work that God has set before us. 
whatever that may be on a daily basis, knowing that if we do that work and we follow that way and we listen to God's voice, that the, wor- the outcome that he wants to occur from it will occur. And we can rest comfortably in that. And so I think that as, uh, if any of us are in a time of discouragement right now, it's important to reach out. It's important to reach out to fellow believers. It's important to reach out to the Lord. It's important to examine the potential sources of it. But at the end of the day, if our discouragement is related, maybe not to, to being hangry, or being tired, but if our discouragement is related to our review of what is going on in the world, it's important to come to, back uh, and remember the, this trust that God would have us to have on him. A trust that has never, ever been let down. A trust that we know when we get to heaven, we will be able to look back on and say, wow, how amazingly you've worked. How amazingly you worked in all the sacrifices that I ever made in all of the things that I ever did for you, and a trust that we know will be fulfilled uh, eternally. So let us uh, take these lessons from the discouragement and thereafter the encouragement of Elijah, and let us uh, go forward in that, that knowledge and that trust in God's purposes. All right, let's close with prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for your tender mercies, which are new every morning. Lord, I thank you that you do care for us. Lord, I thank you that you do care for us personally, that you do reach out to each one of us personally. Lord, I pray if there's any in this body that are facing discouragement, either themselves or people around them, that, Lord, that you would give wisdom, that you would give comfort, and, Lord, that you would give a vision for how your purposes are continuing to go forward, uh, even in this present wicked world. I thank you for all these things. In your name, amen.